I have an audio message for Brody. Spice pumpkin lattes from Starbucks over here at Victoria Jeans. And I hope all our Australians are drinking a can of VB and ignoring the fact that it's ooh, Halloween. Yes, that's right, ladies, gentlemen, and skeletons. It's Halloween. <laughs> and, he, and here at Cinephile Paradiso, we're not letting that pop culture reference slip by us. Tonight we're going to be discussing two films that we feel are significant to Halloween, even though, as Australians, it's not really a cultural phenomena. I feel like we've adapted it, though. Adapted it? <laughs> I mean... Okay, David is like choking on his coffee. I meant no, adopted. Went down the wrong hole. I feel like we've adopted it here though. I've been going past quite a few houses and they have the Halloween decorations all up. Everyone's getting in the festive spirit. I remember being really shocked in primary school the first time any of the people were like, oh, we're going trick-or-treating. I'm like, how? We, we don't live in suburbia. This is going to be very difficult. But it seemed to be something that was seeping its way into Australian culture. It's interesting, though, because if you go by the actual pagan calendar, which is what it's based on, because we're in the Southern Hemisphere, it's not really Halloween or Sarwen. It's actually Beltane, which is a different festival about fertility and the start of when you should be planting crops instead of harvesting it before things go cold. What does that have to do with Halloween? Because Halloween comes from the harvest festival at the end of the harvest, where you are meant to be storing all the grain and you give a small sacrifice to it and it's when the realms between the living and the dead are the thinnest because it's between the seasons and the spirits of the dead come back and you're meant to appease them or scare them off by lighting bonfires or giving them some of the harvest as an offering so they don't haunt you and you dress up as ghouls to sort of distract them from them thinking that they can haunt you. So they would sacrifice their grains or their well, harvest or whatever. A portion of it or, or, an, or an offering that's <laughs> symbolic. Or a baby. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, going back to the films, um, yeah, we did do films that are quite significant to Halloween. I would say one is quite superior to the other, but we will get into that. Uh, David, I feel like we should start with your film that you've chosen for us first. Absolutely. I think that... <gasps> Wait. Oh. Before we start, maybe yes. we should talk about films that we may have chosen. Oh, that's yeah. good. Okay, good. Okay. So, um... I had a lot of horror films that I was thinking about, and then I remembered, no, it's Halloween, you need to pick a Halloween-y film. Um, and I do think that there is a bit of a difference. Halloween, the actual horror film I thought about. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I yep. thought of that too. Or any of from the franchise. What about you? What else did you think? I mean, I did think of Suspiria, but I guess that is more horror than... Well, also, I Halloween. Have, there are so many others that I feel like... Because we have to do Suspiria at some point. But yeah, we like could have done it for ballet, but we did um, Barbie or Swan Lake. Well, for dance, you mean? Well, no, it's Actually, ballet right. dancing it, It's ballet, yeah, well, at least David. in the first one. I mean, the original, yeah. We would have only done the original Suspiria, not the new one, well, believe me. It depends, because there's two of us in this podcast, and we get to make decisions about what films we This pick. is true, but then I feel like the film you've chosen is quite Halloween, and then the film I've chosen isn't really Halloween, it's more horror. But I think that it is Halloween, because it's about... The aesthetic is quite Halloween. Not just that, but it's about the realm of the dead crossing over and visiting the realm of the living, which is the whole <gasps> so point I picked of Right? You nailed it, Quaid. Yes! And the other film that you could have picked that's often aligned with this film, mm. I think that you picked the one that I prefer, even though the other <gasps> oh, one... Oh, yep. We're going to get a lot of hate for that, I feel, when we come to that subject matter. I'm happy to be controversial about that. Though I actually don't think it's that much of a hot take. I think a lot of people agree with me. You're Not... the only other person that I've met that agrees with this particular statement really? that we will make on the podcast. I'm... They're selling that merchandise everywhere right now at Big W. Really? Yeah. Also, apparently um, in the States, they thought there was a jetpack man on CCTV from a plane that uh, they believed was someone with a jetpack flying along next to a plane and they found out later it was actually a Jack Skellington balloon. Oh, so you've spoiled what that movie is. Well, we're not doing that one. Well, yeah, but now people know what we're going to probably say about it. Well, if they've guessed, guessed, then... Guessed? Then... Yeah, yeah, true. Okay, let's go. I, I know the movie I would have also liked to pick was <laughs> Shaggy. 
Oh, Scooby Doo. Okay, Scooby-Doo. but can I say that would have worked a lot better with a different theme? So for everyone listening, a few days ago, David and I we actually went through all the themes we'd written down and no, put in the glass jar, glass vase to see what we've got so far. Which are waiting us. I didn't want to do it. Ruins the surprise. However, let me finish. Quite David, my creativity. David stupidly wrote down. <laughs> Animals that are humans and I actually now to think of it Scooby-Doo would have probably been perfect for yeah, we'll that never one do it because you took it out of the options Well, we could maybe bad CGI characters that could be a theme again always editing my creative decisions Scooby-Doo Okay, let's just stop with that and I think Let's, no. let's go right into it. Should we address the elephant in the room, though? Is there an elephant in the room? Well, what we were talking about prior to the podcast. So we've received our first bit of online hate. Oh, look, we've re- we've actually <laughs> received a bit of criticism about oh, really? different things. Oh, absolutely. Listen, um, welcome to creating something and putting it out into the world to try and share the love with the public. Of course you're going to get shot down by people. That's what happens. It means you're seen. Do you feel visible now? You're just like a Kardashian or Angelina Jolie. This is what I wanted my whole life and now I don't know if it is what I want. Crack the champagne. You've received criticism. Look, I really admire feedback, especially critical feedback. I feel like there's a difference between feedback and bullying. I don't know. Yeah, I definitely think so as well. But also, I'm a huge fan of the idea that once you've put your neck on the line and you've created something and put it out on the world, then you're allowed to have a fucking opinion. Until then, you're just noise and you're a consumer gobbling away at what other people are putting out. So you're allowed to like things and not like things. But if you find us annoying, don't fucking listen to us. Anyway, we just wanted to, yeah, talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we should get into the films now. Also, though, just on that note, you are perfect the way you are. I love your voice. I love... Thank you, David. And all our listeners, you are perfect, too, because you are listening to this podcast and supporting us. Exactly. It's much appreciated. Mm. We see you. We see the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) All 12 of you. (laughs) No, there's more. There's more than that. Let's be be positive. Absolutely. Where have I put my tea? Anyway, Halloween. Speaking of spooky things showing up at your door, such as criticism and ghouls... (laughs) Okay, so yeah, what is the movie that you have selected for us, I've chosen the only movie that you can choose for this theme. I picked to do the 1993 classic musical cinematic masterpiece, Hocus Pocus. Boo! And not boo as in the noise that a ghost makes, as as in boo from the crowd. He's just maybe, Quaid's just being a ghost. Boo! Um, No, no ghosts in this movie. So, to those of you who've not yet had the pleasure... Now, I'm not talking about the second one, by the way. Haven't watched it, heard it's dog shit. Probably will watch it. Um, (laughs) Yeah, tell us about what Hocus Pocus is about. Hocus Pocus. synopsis. Hocus Pocus was made in 1993. It is a story about the Sanderson sisters, three sisters living in Salem during the time of the witch trials, who, in an attempt to rejuvenate their youth and potentially stay young forever, are kidnapping children from the Salem community so that they can suck their life essence out. Is this a metaphor for adrenochrome and the Kennedy administration? That's a topic for another podcast. Anyway, while this is happening one night, Thackeray Banks... Sounds like it should be Zachary Banks. Well, I'm not I'm not trying to hang shit on um, speech impediments. Is it a correct way to announce the name? Much I think so. If you were from Barcelona, or is it... It is, because when I went on Wikipedia, that's how they spelt his name, Thackeray Bing. So, T-H. Anyway, enough about that. Yeah. Um, he discovers that he, the three witches are sucking the essence out of his sister. Does he do something about it in time? No. He waits until she's actually dead before he jumps through the window. No, he's discovered by them. Anyway, they're furious. Do they lock him in a cage? No, they don't lock him in a cage. They just corner him. That's why I'm And turn him into that. a cat. Oh, I mean, I was going to talk about it more dramatically than that. But anyway, they, they turn him into a cat. The way that they are drawing children to them is Sarah Jessica Parker, who plays Sarah, is able to use her siren-like call to sing children towards them, singing of a magical garden. It's sort of like a siren's call that brings children to them. Anyway, the townsfolk, a friend of Thackeray Banks, who sees the whole thing go down after he gets turned into a cat by the witches, who, after he hurls insult at them for being old hags and no amount of children will ever make them young and beautiful, they decide that 
a better punishment than death, which is a story arc in so many things, is to live forever. But as a cat! Anyway, they turn him into a cat after getting their magical spell book that has an eye on it and seems to have an intelligence of its own. Interesting fact, I've listened to a few Illuminati watch podcasts about this, and apparently they used real satanic verses in the book. I don't know about that, but it's fun to throw it around as rumour. A friend of Zachary Bank sees all of this go down and alerts the townspeople, who of course are furious. You can't have three women, single women as well, wreaking havoc on the population of the town. I mean, they were abducting and killing children, so fair enough. It was a different time, Quaid. Anyway, the townsfolk, furious, decide to hang the women. As the women are trying to curse the town, the book springs to their rescue and opens to a page where Winifred, played by Bette Midler, says a spell that means that in 300 years on All Hallows' Eve, if a virgin is to light the candle made from the fat of a hanged man, it will bring them back to life so they can wreak havoc on the children of Salem again. Bring us forward to 2000 and... No. <laughs> no, it was 1993, actually, David. 1993, we meet a young Max Dennison, played by Omri Katz, who is new to Salem, and he is not having a very good time. He's being bullied by everyone, and Quaid, do you know the worst thing to happen to him? He's he, a virgin. He's a 15-year-old virgin, which keeps coming up in the film over and over again. And even his little sister, who is played by Thora Hurd, is that right? Uh, Thora Birch. Thora Birch. Danny is only too happy to mock him for being a virgin, before it's even a plot point to do with the witches. For some reason, in a Disney film, this is an important thing to keep bringing up. Love this film. It could not be made today. It's so chaotic and weird with so many of the things that are significant to it. How does her little sister know her older brother is a virgin? That's also a bit weird because there is quite a big age gap. So I feel like sex wouldn't be something that they should be talking about. She's like eight. He's like 15. To prove how cool and strong he is in front of Alison, the friend of his who lives up the road, who is also 15, they break into the Salem witch's house, which is in pristine condition for a house that is just on the street and you would think the teenagers would be breaking into it and smashing it. I'm going to get into that because I have a massive, massive issue with a few Well, the answer points. I have to that is magic. So Quaid's problems with this movie are all wrong. They read about this and Zachary Binks is there as the cat, but he can't talk yet because the candle hasn't been lit, which means that the spell to make him be able to talk hasn't been activated. And he's like, no, meow. Um, and <laughs> Max lights the candle, bringing back the witches and hilarious musical chaos ensues as they have until sunrise to suck the life of at least one child uh, so that they don't turn to dust at sunrise. Wait, what did you think of the film? Well, I think before we get into me whinging, hmm. can you give me some interesting facts about the film? I have so many interesting Well, I just want three. Three max. Oh, Christ. All give right. me three. We can't, this can't go for like two hours, this podcast. We aim for an hour every time. Oh, you're so boring. Okay. Kathy Jimmy, who played Mary, one of the witches, she felt that her character didn't necessarily have a strong essence to it. So, really? So she decided... Who would have thought? She decided that her, she adopted the traits of a bloodhound, which is why she would curl up her top lip and sniffle and sniff out the children, because that was her superpower that she had. Oh, another interesting fact is Sarah Jessica Parker found out while doing research about her heritage, someone from her family line was actually accused of witchcraft. Luckily, it never went to trial, but it could have been something that was similar between her and the character, is that that is is something in her family. <laughs> and give me fact number three. So Doug Jones is this amazing actor. He, you would know a lot of his work as a, a physical actor. He uh, played Pan in Pan's Labyrinth. He's very, he's usually covered in prosthetics, but he's quite bodily in his performances. He played the zombie in this. Oh my God. He revealed that the scene where the moths came out of his mouth was not CGI, but a practical effect like so much of this during the filming. And they actually had to have sort of like a latex condom in his mouth so that they could have a chamber for the moths to be in with a tiny hole at the back so that when he cut it open, the moths would come out. He also, the stitches that are sealing his mouth shut, the X and 111. Yeah, like they were real stitches. They were real stitches. They were Roman numerals for 13. So there was a lot of significant, intentional occult references in this film that uh, I think you can just generally tell that they really enjoyed making this film and putting a lot of things into it. Leonardo DiCaprio was offered the role of Max Dennison and turned it down to take up What's Eating Gilbert Grape. So he missed out on being in this fantastic film. Oh, what a shame. What's Eating Gilbert Grape is an amazing film to our listeners. If you haven't watched it, please go watch it. No, that's good. That's enough. I don't want to hear any more facts about Hocus Pocus. Why? We, we're here to talk about films, even if uh, are not sophisticated enough. Can to I just go back that. to who was that actor you were talking about that played Pan and Pan's Labyrinth and plays the zombie in this film? 
Doug Jones. Yeah, Doug Jones. So his character, he is like the ex-lover of Winfred. Winifred. Yeah. How do you say her name? Winifred. Did Winifred. you watch it? You didn't I did watch, watch the, the film. The film. You? you didn't I watch did. the film. That's why you don't want to talk anyway, about it. Anyway, so Winifred is upset with him because he, in the past, had cheated on her with her sister. Hmm. So, yeah, that was a bit intense. But, look, can I tell you what I thought about this movie? Yeah, I want to know what you thought about this movie because you seem so anti this film. Without the nostalgia attached, it's a terrible film. Did you know Jess Jennifer Lopez <laughs> auditioned for the role of Sarah Sanderson? I don't see her being able to inhabit the slapstick to me. Well, I don't play. think also, she's that butthurt now Sarah, about not being in the Sarah film. Sarah Jessica Parker was so comfortable up on that broom, instead of coming down between takes, she would have a copy of the newspaper up there and read with her between takes. I've got more interesting facts. I don't want to hear any more facts. Carry oh, on. this movie was yawn. So, look, we've seen this story done countless times before. Where? Parents move their child to a new town and the child is sour about it and then they experience a life lesson. I'm gonna go. Karate Kid, Spirited Away, Inside Out. The list goes on. Okay, so one of those films was before this. The rest came out after. So you're saying Spirited Away, the masterpiece Spirited Away shouldn't have been made because Hocus Pocus exists? No, Okay, I'm so your first point is that. garbage. Move on to the next one. You d let me finish my point. Anyway, this has been done countless times before, this plotline. I can even go and, if you want, I can go on Google right now and talk about, look up movies where no, I, 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 I know, I know child. I know, but we've established that you're saying that films can still be made with that premise, because if they can't, you should also be arguing that those other movies okay, you mentioned But you didn't exist. let me finish my point. What I was going to say after I said Inside Out when you interrupted me was the list goes on, except this one has done it so poorly. Also, the pairing of the actors who played Max and Allison was awkward. Max looks like he's 15 and Allison looks like she's 21. He looked like a baby. She looked like a fully developed woman. But that's what happens at high schools. People age at different rates, but they're still friends because they're the same age mentally. David, I don't care. It just didn't, the pairing looked really awkward. It, I didn't like it. Anyway, I'm on this point enough. I want to move on. Okay, so, and also like, the fact that Max is a virgin, that point was brought up so many times, like over a hundred times. It's like, yes, we get it, which you mentioned before. Now, what I do want to ask you is how on earth are Max and Allison, the first ones in the town to break into the Sanderson's house and steal their magic book? For a town like Salem that is apparently obsessed with the Sanderson sisters, how did they not do this beforehand? Well, I will say to that, now that I've thought about it, it makes sense that it's part of the magic spell. Because they said it had to be on Halloween, which means there would have been a trajectory of it happening. And because he was a virgin, he would have been the one that's called to the house. It's all part of the art. No, because... Someone would have gone and stolen that book ages ago. The book would not have still been there. Anyway, this museum has been closed for years and like, why were all these historical items left in the muse museum? Surely they would have been put into storage. That whole plot device really irked me. When places run out of money, that happens all the time. Look at Liberace's house. When they stopped having the funding to that, it just turned into a ghost museum that got locked up. Anyway, more points to why I don't like this film. All logic and common sense were absent from the screenplay and from majority of the characters. Winifred seemed to be the only one that cared that she'd turn to dust at the crack of dawn. Sarah and Mary are just off with the fairies and I didn't find it funny at all. If anything, it was disengaging, especially Sarah Jessica Parker as Sarah. I honestly did not understand any of her acting choices. It's like she grabbed the script a second before shooting and was like, hmm, whatever. Also, Sarah eyeing out and preying on all the young male characters was creepy. I know everyone says that she's supposed to be the promiscuous one of the group, but it didn't come across like that. It's so sexual, like in a weird way. Even the way that Sarah like hits on the bus driver, the weird horny bus driver, and then you have the mum dressing as the sexiest version of Madonna for the party. It's a very peculiar film. I'm not saying that it's a good thing that a child's film was this sexualized, but Disney films are now being made so safe with so many gloves on to be so marketable to so many communities. It's just a coloured blob and another coloured blob talking about how you should be happy with the situation you're born into. Whereas this film seemed like a weird creative explosion from what one of the writers actually said was him making up stories based on his neighbour's cat while trying to come up with something original to get his children to go to sleep. It was this weird kind of... So David, for a statement like that, I would assume that you've watched all the recent Disney films then. I've watched a few recent Disney Such films. Such as? And Have you seen them... Turning Red? Because it doesn't seem like you have watched it no, from that statement of yours. No, because I feel like the plot where a little girl is turned into an animal has been done so many times now, it just shouldn't exist because that's against the rules apparently. Anyway, I'm going to carry on. The rhythm and pacing of this film is also really off. All the characters just kept on going back and forth to the Sanderson house because either the Sanderson sisters would get hold of the book or Max, Allison and Danny would. It was like repetitive and because all common sense was lacking, all the characters' actions to 
to achieving their goals was abysmal. And watching stupid characters make stupid choices isn't funny. So it's not funny. So what you're saying is you just don't like slapstick. That's fine. It wasn't even, like, not even that. It's like... There was no common sense in the film whatsoever. Like Bette Midler, like her character was the only one that seemed to have the realization that that the consequence for me not achieving my goal is that I'm going to die. I am going to turn into dust. Whereas her two sisters are just like, what the fuck were they doing? Like, what the actual fuck were they doing the whole entire movie? It was annoying to watch. It was irritating. Also, like Danny, Max's little sister, she had one job. One job. The job was to stay in the graveyard, surrounded by the circle of salt. And what does she do? She leaves the graveyard, I'm leaves the circle of salt, and then gets picked, abducted by the witches. It's I'm, like you, you had sure, one thing. You I'm had one sure thing I've, to do. I'm pretty sure I've been on nights out with you where you've had one job, Quaid. Stay here with everyone's bag so our iPhones don't get pinched. And where are you? God knows. You've gotten to That has disappear. never happened. So You're just I doing that, that <laughs> to create a story to make this interesting. You are a liar. <laughs> that never happened. Everybody, if you inbox me, I'll send you videos over my phone of things like this happening. Anyway. Anyway, the only redeeming quality of this film were some scenery shots. For instance, when Thackeray Binks joins his sister in heaven and they walk past these opened graveyard gates. Oh, the that was boring part of the film. No, I just appreciate aesthetically pleasing images. And then I also like that scene where the Sanderson sisters are flying on their broomsticks and you see the full moon. That was really, really pretty. And if I can find those shots, I'll post them on the Cinephile Paradiso Instagram account because I really liked them. But that was pretty much the only thing I liked about this film. Everything else was garbage. I cannot believe this film has such a following. It was really irritating to watch. I don't know. It was I think, annoying. I think that it's a, a bit of fun. The objective was quite clear. It's... Uh, the obje no, you're right. The objective was very, very clear. That's what made the film so frustrating because the characters did fucking shit all to actually get to their objective and win their objective. They just didn't do anything. They were all so stupid. I mean... Do what, what, something, you stupid <laughs> models. All you do is pose. You're all so fucking dumb. As you, Janice Dickinson would say. You wouldn't get that say. American thing. Um, I mean, that... I think that you just did... The characters didn't appeal to you because the premise of most movies It's not is, that they didn't appeal no, to me. No, they it's didn't true, because do anything most, to achieve their goals most or objectives. Mo most movie, the story arc is quite simple without... And you just go, oh, this would be a five-minute movie without the chaos ensuing. And you're saying this movie had chaos so there was a story in it. It's like, yeah, it would have been a very short, short movie if they'd just done the sensible thing at the beginning. Also, keep in mind that it was children and a bunch of batty witches that were driving the story. There was a certain insanity to it as well that was enjoyable. The adults sort of being on another planet mentally. You had this heightened reality where they were all in dress up. And again, the mum and dad not really quite being parents and involved in their own bullshit. You had the weird the mum was definitely on coke at that party. weird horny bus driver. You had Satan, which I loved that that scene where they think it's the real devil. It's so much fun. And, that, and that's the sad thing about this film. There were actually a lot of missed opportunities for things to be very, very funny. So, for instance, the Satan thing, I, that was probably the funniest scene in the whole entire film. Do you want to describe to our listeners no, what can. that you, scene's you about? got strong opinions, you go. Well, the Sanderson sisters, they're looking for their magical book that Max, Allison, and Danny have taken, and they're walking through the neighborhood. They seem to be quite confused by the concept of Halloween because they see all these children dressed up as different characters and then they see this man standing outside his door and he's dressed as the devil. Now obviously this man is not the devil however the Sanderson sisters actually think it's Satan himself and they straight away run up to him and bow down to him and then he gets a bit turned on by these three lovely women and he invites them into his home. Things get a bit spicy and his wife gets a bit jealous. So, very funny scene. I'm actually quite happy you mentioned that, but it could have been funnier. They could have taken it so much further. Even if you're going to keep on repeating that Max is a virgin, then let's actually do it for a, a good reason or make it funny. Well, like, the, just a lot of mi missed part opportunities. Part of the reason that the children's storyline was so thin was it was a very late adaptation to the script that the movie was so driven by the children. As you can probably tell, the writer had quite a strong interest in musical theatre and pantomime and slapstick and Broadway. Originally, this film was meant to focus mainly about the misadventures of the three Sanderson sisters and the children were sort of meant to just be the through line that tied the motivations for them bumbling their way through modernity. There are scenes of Winifred being pushed into a pool at the school. There is a scene where they're at a shopping centre eating candy. There is a scene where they're going through 
kids' lockers. All of this has been lost. It got, got rid of because it was deemed not enough about the children because the Disney were saying, if this is a children's movie, it needs to be about children. So it was worked a lot at the last minute to sort of force the hand of the writers to make it more about them than the witches. And you can kind of tell from the movie that that exaggerated, pompous, hyper, slapstick caricature of these three characters, almost these drag-like characters, were meant to be the driving force of the film, which is why this very serious, confusing love story narrative to do with the children that's sort of meant to sort of be heartfelt and about sibling bonding, etc, etc, was added at the end and woven in to try and appease the money people at the end of the day. Don't get me wrong, there's, there's nothing wrong with a simple storyline. My only issue with it is if the whole entire movie is the idea of, you know, this magical book being pulled back and forth between the Sanderson sisters and Max, Allison and Danny, that's fine, but then it needs to be done in a way where you're on the edge of your seat watching this happen because the characters are doing everything in their power to like win their objective. But because that wasn't happening, because they're making so many stupid decisions and there seemed to be a real lack of drive, it just, it's disengaging. I, I didn't care because I didn't care because they didn't seem to care at the end of the day. The, the stakes were very, very high, but everything that had been written in that script didn't do anything for those stakes. Hmm. Does this make sense to you? It, I feel like this film hurt you somehow because you're talking about Oh my about God, it. it did not hurt me. So for you're instance, so I'm gonna, okay, fine. I'm yeah. gonna try and make it very clear to you. Okay. Bette Midler the whole time as Winifred, she's trying to get her sisters to do something. She's like, guys, come on, come on. We need to do this. We need to get this magic book so that we can create the spell so that we can steal a soul of a child. Let's do it. She's the only one that seems to be aware of the situation, whereas the other two sisters, sisters are just faffing off the whole time, doing fuck or nothing. I'm like, what? I'm like, do you guys care that you're going to die at dawn? Yeah, it's a do very... you care? Because they didn't seem to care or even be aware of that. But the stakes are being carried by Winifred. She's the straight man, and the other two are meant to be sort of the Lilo and Hardy sort of slapstick element to the performative, like, But trope. it was so surface level. It was so, so... It's okay to be the stupid characters. That's the whole point oh, of it. Also, yes. Yo. It is repetitive because a lot of narratives, I mean, Lord of the Rings is get the magic ring, throw it in a volcano. And yes, the, but at least and, the characters there. And the logic there, holes there didn't make any sense. Get on the eagle and fly there. Yeah, but Ooh. at least there are stakes. There were stakes here too. There dead were, yes, children I'm, I'm telling you. Yes, that's what I'm saying though. There are stakes in this film. There are very, very good stakes in this film. However, none of the characters are playing those stakes. I and think that they was are. my issue with you, the film. The scene opens with a child dying and then another one being cursed into a cat. Then we, okay, then again, David, for a Disney David, film, you're you're talking about plot points. I'm not talking about plot points. I'm talking about what the characters are actually doing to win their objectives against the stakes. So the win the San Sanderson sisters, their objective is we need to get this book so that we don't die. That's that's their goal. Whereas the children, uh, their goal is we need to keep this book away from them so that they don't kill children. So very, very high stakes, right? And to be honest, the, to be honest, the children did a better job than what the Sanderson sisters did. The Sanderson sisters did fuck all. You know what? I would have rather just had Winifred been been in it and her sisters gone because they no were just dynamic. annoying. It's really weird because you're trying to apply logic to a film where the storyline is the basis for the entertainment that's in the film. I, had like, no I just issue. want there to be two characters in this and both of them agree I on their no, objectives and then it's I had like no it, issue it with like you the, want plot. the film to be a game of chess. I had no I, I had no issue with the plot. What I had issue with were the characters' actions in achieving their objectives. Again, this is a children's movie where three people are it doesn't matter. The beginning it of doesn't it, matter. And then they get it doesn't matter. And killed. It, what I'm I saying can, is I'm like, I can talk about children's films where the stakes are high and where the characters are doing everything in their power to win their objective otherwise but they're going years. We need to talk about getting ice shaved into the back of your head because I think that's the next style move for you. I think that's going to be I fantastic. shaved in the back of my head. You didn't watch the movie. I did watch you the did movie. You did not watch the movie. How could I have so much pent up hate for a film that I haven't seen? I don't know. I think maybe you read a review by someone. No, no. It's just a terrible film. Ernie, who had eyes shaved in the back of his head. They stole the sneakers from Max. You didn't watch this film, did I did you? watch this film. And then they got put in the cage and then he steals the shoes back and leaves them in the cage, which is quite dark. You can, didn't watch the movie. Can you start again? What part of the film? You know how there's Max yeah. and Ernie. It's Ernie. Ice. He had ice. Oh, so oh my god, we haven't even spoken about the bullies. Yeah, so the bullies, there's two bullies. It's so 90s. Who were the bullies' names? It was Ice. Who so, was, so it was Ernie, who, whose nickname was Ice. So Ernie looks like, I guess, the reject shop version of River Phoenix. And, um... No, 
you're just being mean about people's appearances. We started this podcast by talking about bullying, and now you are going for this poor actor. Poor Larry Bad- Bagby. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with him. He, he's stunning. I'm just saying the Apart way they... the fact you said he's a poor man's River Phoenix. <laughs> Stop trying to make me look like the bad guy. Anyway... Those bullies also were really weird because I'm like, you're supposed to be the school bullies, but you're such losers. They're not meant to be the school bullies. They're meant to be bullies. They're sort of just roaming around picking God, on people. But how could they be bullies when they're so pathetic? Oh, you were so mean. They weren't. They, so there you was don't nothing... like this movie because you hate three empowered women. Uh, uh, sorry, not three empowered women. There was one empowered <laughs> woman. The other two were just like, if I was a woman, I'd be offended by the betrayal. <laughs> you heard it here first, everyone. Quaid's a feminist. <laughs> I am a feminist. And if and I was a woman, is... I would have been offended by the betrayal of those two Sanderson sisters because they don't do anything and they just play dumb the whole time. It's not fun to watch. It's annoying. And, and it's frustrating. I was literally rolling my eyes because I was like, when is this film going to end? It's like having, it's like having ticks under your skin and just wanting to itch them out of like, out of your body and you, oh God. Which character did you find most (laughs) empathetic? Um, I guess Max, because, you know, he's moved to this new town. He's feeling a bit insecure. That's even such though, a boring trope. I've no, seen it in so many movies. Uh, David, I don't have an issue with that as a storyline, but the way they presented it was so surface level. The script writing was so awkward. There's literally a line where he says, oh, I don't want to live here anymore. And even the acting doesn't do anything either to help it. So that is my issue, not the narrative. The, the, the storyline, the plotline itself is fine. Just the screenwriting of the dialogue, the the characters' actions and achieving things, it's all really, really bad. Anyway, um, yeah, probably Max, because I think everyone can empathize with, oh, you know, going through your teenage years, you're feeling insecure because, you know, you're a virgin. I remember being a virgin and having people make me feel very insecure about it. So I could empathize. I think I realize where your hatred of this film comes from. Oh, stop it. Oh, (laughs) stop it. Anyway, so, um, but no, just, I still can't get over that pairing with him and Alison because Allison is stunning and he just looks like this little boy and it was just, it was weird, man. It was really, really weird. Here's a fun fact. Vanessa Shaw, who played Allison, also played the sex worker who was killed in Eyes Wide Shut, another film that gets a lot of investigation by paranoid, paranormal conspiracy investigators online. The Stanley Kubrick one with Nicole Kidman, Nicole Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. I really want to watch it. It's like a long film. Have you not watched it? I've still not seen it. It's on my list. It's a masterpiece. I'm aware of the films I haven't seen I probably hate it because the premise has been done before, but... Oh, uh, <laughs> you're still hung up on that. I have no issue with a premise being redone a few times, but this movie, the way they presented it, was very shallow. Anyway, let's carry on. What's your next question for me? Don't even ask me what I didn't like about it because I've made it very I obvious. I was going to ask that. I was going to say, do you think this film could be made today? Well, it has. I made a Hocus Pocus too, and I actually but watched the first... It? I watched the first 10 minutes because I was curious. But have they changed the convention? What do you mean? Well, this one, I think, lent very much on adult humour to do with sexuality and sex. Yeah, and gender stereotypes. Yeah, Gender stereotypes. Yeah, Yeah, it it used a lot of outdated tropes that I think you only could have got away with in the early 90s. I think the reason why this film really sort of stands out like dog's bollocks is that these conventions, although not necessarily acceptable in filmmaking full stop today, this was one where it was used very brazenly in a film that was marketed towards children, which I think does subvert the storyline in a notable way that is not necessarily good, but does make it stand out from other stories at the time. Okay. So, you haven't answered my question. You said yes, they could make it today, because they have. Well, you gave me a really long-winded answer. I just want, like, a, like, basic Excuse English. Excuse me, after your massive, massive rant about how Can Spirited I just Away have... is like this film. I did not say Spirited, because you didn't let me finish that sentence. I said, those movies do it well, this movie doesn't. But they did it after as well. It doesn't matter. I can, if you want, I can go and look at other. I will get a list for you. I was just telling no, you the, no, the movies that come to my mind. It's not a very good point. Have other points. Um, okay. Uh, what was your favorite bit God. of the film? <laughs> like when it ended. I, we're talking about Hocus Pocus two. No, we're talking about Hocus Pocus. Yeah, but you said, is it? Does it have the same conventions as the first one? Yeah. Okay. So as I was going to say, I only saw the first ten minutes, so I guess I can't really make a point of it. It was there were a few things that did appear better in the second one. For instance, the cinematography. It looks like it had a bit of a higher budget. Obviously, they're using more CGI, so I guess it 
kind of covers the cheap practical effects. Also, cheap practical effects. I mean, Hocus Pocus is looks very cheap. But David. isn't that what makes it fun? The practical effects, the prosthetics. I mean, the films wires? like Suspiria, where they did you know cheap practical effects. Yeah, that that's fun. But this movie, no, not so much. <laughs> yeah, the cinematography seemed a lot better. Even the screenwriting looked better. I mean, not looked better. The screenwriter writing seemed more seamless. Like when the characters were talking, the lines felt like more believable things that people would actually say. However, um, I, the acting wasn't very great and a, f a few interesting design choices that were strange. So, um, I don't know. It seemed interesting. It, it starts with like a, do you want me to spoil it for you? Are you going to watch I'm it? I'm going to watch it. Really? For someone that loves this film so much, I'm really surprised that you're not curious enough to see the second oh, one. It's interesting that you say loves this film so much because I think I picked this film because I wanted to discuss it because I think it's an interesting film. I think it's interesting that it got made. I think it's interesting that it's became so iconic after being a box office flop. It wasn't I, a box office flop. It absolutely was. I saw the box office numbers. It was a box office flop. It was considered a box office flop until it came out. It made 20 million in profit. It was not considered a successful film when it was released in cinemas. It was mm -hmm. not until it became a cult classic and being sold on VHS that this film was picked up. I think that the erratic and very loose mm. story narrative, like you said, it is messy. So I think that, it's, again, I just think it's interesting. I don't think the storyline or the narrative is messy at all. I think the character's decisions are very messy. I thought this would have been an interesting film to discuss because I think there are a lot of interesting things that went into creating this Frankenstein of a film. And I thought that it would be interesting to be able to discuss it objectively Effectively as something that was created in a time where you could get away with doing that. Yes, I enjoyed this film quite a lot as a child and mm. I'm sure that the nostalgia factor is definitely what contributes to it because going back and watching, say for instance, Fern Gully, a film that I enjoyed as mm. a child, watching it again as an adult, you're like, it's not made for adults, it's made for children and that's why it spoke to me when I was a kid and as an adult you're just sort of like, well, yawn, but also, cool, I'm glad I had that. And same with this, it was a lot of fun when I was a young kid in 1993 and now I probably wouldn't enjoy it that much, but because it's a film that sort of stuck out in my mind and also because the young mind of a child was warped by a lot of things. I remember the first time I saw this, I went, I'm like, mom, what's a virgin? And I know a lot of people my age that had that experience. I think that this movie, Evan, aesthetically, the way the spell book was designed was spooky and inspiring. I love the colours of the Three Sanderson sisters' um, costumes. Well, those silhouettes are classic. I mean, you look at the silhouettes of the Three Sanderson sisters and you can say who's who, even before you've read or seen anywhere that it's Hocus Pocus. There is a lot iconographically about this film. Oh, it's an iconic film and I'm not taking out. that away from the film. So and I thought it would just for a Halloween film it would be an interesting film to discuss because it has stood the test of time despite itself and even the fact that it exists is a weird sort of coincidence of filmmaking. So I just thought there was a lot of interesting stuff about this to break down and talk about because I wouldn't necessarily mm. put it in my top anything film but when you say Halloween films what stands out to you I'm like this is a film about Halloween that as a kid I kept coming back to and watched a lot of times and had fun with and then as an adult especially now that they've made the remake a lot of people have been discussing it of More my sequel. generation. Uh, sorry, sequel. Of my generation and talking about the unusual things about this film that I never really thought of before. So I thought, what a time to dive back into it and discuss it. Um, which is why I picked it. Again, it's not necessarily one of my favourite films. I don't necessarily think that they are the strongest performances, but it's fun. It's silly. There's some songs in there that are great musical numbers. There's some scenery of like the side of buildings exploded and witches flying through laughing with children over their shoulders. It doesn't make you think too much. It doesn't really explore the technicality and the reality of the occult too much. It more talks about fairy story witches and zombies and not walking on hollow ground and all the cliches, but it's it's fun in a messy kind of way. No, and I, like I said, I don't have the nostalgia attached to this film in particular, so I can't look at it from the eyes that you look at, look at it and from the eyes that other people look at it. I know many people that love this film and hold this film in such high regard. One of my friends who lives in Mexico, when I went to visit him in Mexico back in 2017, he was godsmacked that I hadn't ever seen Hocus Pocus. So one night he put it on and he was like, we're going to watch this because I was there during Halloween. Yeah, I guess it didn't gel with me. I think, I, I look, I don't know. I think I'm very good at looking back at films that I did watch as a kid that I loved and being able to, to say, hey, look, I think I don't want to rewatch this because the memory of it is more important than me watching it now as an adult. Is there anything else you want to say about Hocus Pocus? Because you are obviously very passionate and butthurt that I do not have the same love of it. For yeah, that out you of do. the three witches, which yeah. one's broom did you like the most? Because I'd like to <laughs> shove it up your ass, you little bitch. <laughs>
<laughs> um, no, I did love when, um, so Kathleen Jimmy, who plays Mary Sanderson, I did like it when she got the vacuum cleaner. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. You didn't seem to appreciate any of the good things I said about it. I said that there were beautiful scenic moments that I really liked. And I liked how they were alluding to the fact that Max, Max and Danny's parents, who, you know, are from LA, were at this party. And I thought they were alluding to the idea that they were taking opious amounts of cocaine. That was the vibe I got. I have no doubt it was made in the 90s. Just because you have kids doesn't mean you stop being people, Quaid. <laughs> oh, let's not go there. Um, is there anything else you want to say? No, I think you've said everything. Um, let's move on to... Oh, uh, actually, we didn't say what we'd rate it out of five stars. <sighs> what would you rate it out of five stars? I would give it a 2.5. Okay. What would you give it? A 3. Oh, okay. Zachary Binks was... Uh, played Thackeray, Thack Thackeray. Thackeray Binks was played by Sean Murray. Now, you may... <laughs> Sean Mendez. <laughs> you may know him, because this was a shock yeah. to me. You may know him from NCIS. Yes, he's the actor from NCIS. And a lot of people... Oh, my God, yes! Mm. And a lot of people credit him as being some sort of sexual awakening, even though I'm like, yeah, you just had a 90s floppy haircut and was a dude. But anyway... Yeah. Actually, and I did find it weird, back to what you said at the beginning of the film, how him and his sister, they kind of just don't do anything when they're about to get killed. And it was really awkward to watch. I was like, you guys are willingly just standing there doing nothing when you know that these witches are about to kill you. Death was a daily occurrence back then. They were just bored by the idea. They're like, oh, thank God, sweet relief from having to till the field. And shit on the street. Okay, should we go to the next film? I feel like now you're going to get some revenge. Oh my God, I'm going to rip into your film so I, I feel much. like you are. Oh my God. All right, well, brace yourself because I am going to tear you a new one. Yeah, but let me first finish talking about what I need to talk about and then you can tear me a new arsehole, okay? Okay, so the film that I chose was Corpse Bride, which was released in 2005. And no, it wasn't just directed by Tim Burton. It was also directed, co-directed by Mike Johnson. Um, I do want to first say, because, you know, we're talking about nostalgia. David, when was the first time you saw Corpse Bride? I first saw Corpse Bride in the cinema when it came out. Do you remember which cinema? No, of course I don't remember which cinema. Okay, well, my... I was enjoying the film. Well, my first encounter with Corpse Bride was really special because it was back in 2005 when I was in year five and I vividly remember my younger brother and my mum and I, we went to Perth City and we went to the Piccadilly Theatre and Arcade to watch this film. That is a very nice And film. that was the first time I had ever gone to that cinema. And for people that don't know, um, the Piccadilly Theatre and Arcade in Perth is an art deco cinema and it's been, been operating since 1938. However, unfortunately, it closed its doors in 2013 and I'm quite, I don't know, I'm a bit disappointed that the government has done nothing to reopen this cinema because... I feel like it's a really important part of history and there's just something very special about it. And for a very, very long time, it was one of the only remaining cinemas still operating in the Perth CBD. Obviously now that's not the case because I think there's the Palace Cinema in Rain Square, but um, it, yeah, it's just, it's such a beautiful, beautiful cinema. And then I only ever saw one more movie at the Piccadilly Theatre and that was um, the terrible film that Zack Snyder directed. Do you remember um, Sucker Punch? I do remember something. Yeah, I yes. saw that at the Piccadilly. Did you did you see anything at the Piccadilly Cinema? Oh yes, Spirited Away. First time I saw no, it. No, yeah. really? Okay, that's pretty special. Yeah. And was that the first time you saw Spirited Away? Yeah, because it had just come out. We went and saw it in Japanese class. That's really special though. That's a really, really special memory. Anyway, I'm going to start talking about the film. Okay, are you ready, David? Absolutely. Corpse Bride is set in a grim 1800s Victorian town. Victor Van Dort and Victoria Everglot are to be eloped due to the greediness of their parents who are on the brink of bankruptcy. Victor and Victoria are anxious to meet each other but form an instant connection. However, Victor is hopeless and cannot remember his vows at his wedding rehearsal, so he goes off into a dark and spooky forest to let off some steam, as you do. Victor rehearses his vows and finally gets them right, but there's a catch. As he was practicing, he placed Victoria's wedding ring on the finger of a corpse, bringing the beautiful Emily to life and breaking the curse. Now, Victor is in a sticky situation as he is now married to the corpse bride, Emily, and has to live with her in the underworld. With Victor's absence, Victoria's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Everglot, start to panic, creating the perfect opportunity for the mysterious gentleman, Lord Barkus, to make an appearance. This Lord Barkus deceives the Everglots, stating that he comes from power and wealth, when really, 
he is just after the dowry as he is bankrupt himself. In the end, plot twist, we find out that Lord Barkis had once fooled Emily when she was alive, promising to marry her, but only to seal her riches and leave her for dead. This is why Emily vowed on her deathbed that she would be free once she found true love. Very dark yet touching. So, do you want me to get straight into interesting facts? Yes, please. I do have to say, though, I think this is definitely one of my favourite stop-motion animated films. The Corpse Bride and Chicken Run are my, like, top two stop-motion I have a question films. about that you might be able to answer. Yeah. How much of it was animated uh, with stop-motion? How much of it was digital? It was all stop-motion. Really? Because it looks very no, no. digital, so there like it was been, patched together. There, there would have been two scenes. So, the scene where... Emily at the end, which I'll get to, she turns oh, into like, the yeah, 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 and then there's the scene where, uh, what's his name? The He's like the elder of the underworld. Um, oh, this, yeah, uh, yeah. Elder Goodnick. Yeah. I think that scene where he like cracks the crow's egg open yeah. and all that like mist comes out, I would assume that's CGI. The puppets were 25 to 28 centimeters tall and some of the stages were so large that animators could actually fit through the set doors with minimal crouching. So maybe they were able to do those panning shots. Yeah, actually that makes a lot of sense then. And then this movie had a 55 week shoot and included 109,440 individually animated frames set up and filmed. And then multiple identical puppets had to be created so that more scenes could be accomplished in a short period of time. In all, 14 puppets of the bride and Victor were created and 13 were created of Victoria. Oh, there you go. I never would have guessed, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to ask you first, what did you like about the film? Do you want to start talking about it? Sure. Um, look, I absolutely adored this film. I oh, really? It so much. Are yeah. you sure you don't hate it now? No, no. This is, no, this is um, one of my favourite children's films that are there. I also wonder whether it's something that could be executed today because I really feel like death as something that's used ghoulishly in a child's movie, I feel like we've sort of... I mean, to sound like such a boomer, I think that we definitely wrap children in cotton wool, whereas I remember seeing this when I was younger, and lots of kids' movies that involve death as a plot point, and mm. there was just nothing shocking about it at all. You just understood that it's part of life. And I love that this film embraces that as a yeah. transitional point, a lot like a lot of films that, you know, speak to there being a separation between life and death, but things do go on. I think it, it ties into the Halloween theme because there's that blending backwards and forwards. I also love that The Land of the Living is set in this Victorian era, so it's all dusty and grey and horrible and everything's boring and then you go to the land of the dead and it's all bold, colorful exciting, and vibrant yeah. and fun and vibrant i love that you brought that up because that was literally a, a point i had here that yeah. i wanted to say it was ingenious i thought it was really really smart and it kind of left the viewer us feeling left less scared of death i don't know it kind yeah. of made me it, think oh, death is an adventure yeah it reminded me of a lot of cultures that actually instead of like the victoria well i mean even the victorians were sort of obsessed with death which is why mm, they had very things much like because so. you know the mortality rate was so high so seances and ouija boards and all sorts of things became a way of trying to thin that veil and also seances were quite popular at the time because it was an excuse for an incredibly conservative society to sit around in the dark and have to touch each other's hands so there was that sexuality and danger tied into it the aesthetic of this film is absolutely gorgeous i love the i I love the designs of all these characters. I feel like this is probably one of the most, and towards the end of when it was really good, the most Tim Burton y. Yeah, film. I was going to say, this last one. Which sorry, is really sad. He kind of lost the plot. Oh, he, he glad, sold out. I'm glad he's trying different things. He's become but, Disney's little bitch. Well, but, you know, he used to make, you know, things like Beetlejuice, Edward, this film, like, you yeah. know, really interesting, beautiful films that, what looks once like, was. that looks like his sketches overflowing, and this feels like the pinnacle of that where he could really there was finally the technology and the budget and the respect to let him do it. Again, the plot is very simplistic. Because, yeah, it, but, is, but, it is. But I enjoy that. It doesn't overcomplicate it with twists and turns because you do see the twist coming very early on, but that's kind of a sweet thing about it. The, the, um, I love her design as well. I yes. Don't know oh, can, I, can I talk about her design? Well, can I speculate something? Yeah. I feel like even though... Was he married to Helena Bonham Carter at this point? Because oh. the design is so Tim Burton. It reminds me so much of... Do you remember uh, Lisa Marie, the model that is his ex wife that were in so many of his films that gotcha. sort of played vampire she was in mars attacks and she has that very sort of like i mean you know oh, she's so maybe it was she's based off her slender and long even if it's unintentional i think that might be the thing because she is very long and elegant but quite busty with big hips and that sort of big eyes and little pointy nose and big lips like there is an element to her physicality that i feel yeah. is translated through that even if it's just incidental or accidental it's very tim burton well even with emily's character design that bride dress it all being ripped up and in tatters with those blue hues. It was just a 
feast to my eye. Like I loved it. Even the way that the light would touch the moonlight would touch her dress. It was and it was through the veil. At the oh, back, it was the way stunning. The, the hair was done, and also I like the fact that you know the way that the forest looked, and then you had the crows up in the trees and the flat detailing of the foreground and the background with the mm. branches all bent in the same way. I really think that this film manages to marry a very idiosyncratic aesthetic perfectly with this very charming story. I think a lot of that comes down to, again, the design being so evocative, but it would be nothing without the fantastic voice actors that are tied in there. We have Joanna Lumley, who's incredible. We have... Who does she play? Uh, she plays the, um, like, the up the uptight mother. She plays From Madeline. Victor Victoria. Uh, Victoria. Oh, gotcha! Yeah, 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 and yeah. No, I loved. Um, we have we we have Christopher Lee. What an icon, especially yes. for this this type of film. Like, what a jewel for the macabre to have him in there. It's so Fantastic. funny that you actually mentioned those two characters first because I was going to talk about the character designs because I love how with each character there's always an exaggerated feature. So past uh, Gal as well as who who's by Christopher Lee who voices him, he's got that long accentuated chin and then Mrs. Everglot who you also just mentioned before, she's got the very long quiff. The character designs were just so, I, I thought they were so inventive. I really, really liked them. I think that they, Again, I think that Tim Burton, especially when you look at his drawings, has a very specific aesthetic. One hundred percent. This was that brought to life. Kind of Adam's well. family, like almost. I don't yeah. want to like compare it completely to that. I mean, there are so many things that you can draw, you can liken it to that I think have inspired him. But at the end of the day, he definitely makes it his own. Um, yeah, definitely. So, no, like, I thought that this film was incredibly charming. Um, I enjoyed all of it, so this is not a criticism of it, yeah. but I did notice... I have a few critics. Well, yeah. I noticed while watching it, I wouldn't call this a musical or, a, or something where I come away from it going, oh, I would listen to this to, yeah. you know, bring it back. Like, it, the music acts as a narrative device, which is, which is, yes, quite, jo which yes. is quite jolly and sort of lifts you along, but they're not songs that you would no. sing. And I was going to say to you, I've never been a fan of the subject of a song being the flop, that being the plot, <laughs> being the well, flop. Well, here's something else that I'm going to say that's probably going to make me sound like a bit of a demon. I know that it's so iconic to his filmmaking and so important to things like Edward Scissorhands, etc., etc. Mm. I'm not the biggest Danny Elfman fan in the <gasps> What? I'm sorry. Sometimes you know I what? sometimes I find it a little bit too No, I love Danny Elfman. I mean, I I understand that it's me, it's not him. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I get I, what I think, you mean, but not all his music's like that though. It's quite twee and sometimes I want things to be a tiny bit darker, but maybe that's him finding the balance between things being angsty and actually being charming. So, you know, and, and also I don't have a huge amount of criticisms for this. Um I think that some of the, you know, some of the voicing choices yada 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 I know who you're mentioning. That we're not allowed to lean on anymore. Um, you're mentioning JD. JD. Yeah, because we're not gonna we're not gonna mention him obviously on this podcast. I mean, oh, I kind of did by no, the sorry, abbreviation. Sorry, you mean the voice actor? Well, it's so funny because I don't necessarily think that he is. He wasn't a standout. Well, he wasn't that important for the role. I think that he was very much a muse for um, Tim Burton and probably still is. But I don't necessarily. I don't know, know if he still is. I well, mean, he'd be a bit he, problematic he, if he was. Well, I mean, a lot of people are gonna stand by him, but yeah. I, I don't think that he was that necessary in this role. The character actually reminded me of God. What's his fucking name um oh. Hugh Grant you reminded me of Hugh Grant a lot oh, but maybe that's okay. because I kind, maybe, of, I kind of see that uh, potentially it's because of the Britishness of this film and he is the actor that goes a bit, a bit, oh, excuse me a bit, uh, uh, um, and that's why I drew comparisons between them two uh, Helena I just think is absolutely classic and gorgeous and hilarious oh, and yeah. everything that she does and I don't care oh, so you, don't, you don't like her as Bellatrix in Harry Potter no I, I've never said that you did you did you don't like you always said how you don't like it how she like plays too psychotic and crazy no, when she's I, like, I killed Sarah well, Snape. I, oh, who was, Snape, sorry. I killed Sirius Black. That I was, killed Sirius that was, Black. That was in the context of, I think, that all of the characters in Harry Potter are asked to be a little bit too... Harry, Harry, I can't find the Philosopher's Stone. And Hermione, I'm Harry and I'm talking about something very seriously. So it's not so much a criticism of Helena. Mm. I think that those movies are directed to be, speaking of pantomime from before, they, the Harry Potter movies are a little bit too similar to Hocus Pocus than I feel like they could have been performed. They're a bit too much of a pantomime and I think that she was a victim of that. But I think if you're going to get anyone to play Bellatrix Lestrange, it might as well have been her. Mm. Can I like quickly talk back now to the songs? Please. Yeah, 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 because like you said, most of the songs in this film, 
They're not really memorable as the subject matter of them is, you know, the plot. And I've never found that quite effective because I feel like a character should only sing when they're so overcome by emotion that it's the only way that they can express how they feel. So the only song that I do really like is called Tears to Shed. And it happens when Emily is upset after Victor says to her, I would never marry you. There's this, is it a worm or it's a... He's a maggot. He says yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah. There's she giggles this... at the beginning and she goes, oh, maggots. There's, so there's this maggot that lives inside Emily his head he's quite adorable and then this black widow spider they kind of join together it's and actually then, a redback spider quite but she says, she says she's, she's a she says she's a actually, widow she says she's a widow she doesn't say she's a black widow that's true anyway <laughs> so her and the maggot are trying to comfort emily because you know she's on the bench crying and the song that they sing which is you know tears to shed it's very very catchy i actually quite like it it's a standout I it's can i please catchy. sing a little bit you can sing a bit Yay! I, I, I think for copyright you can't play it no i'm it. gonna sing it ready overrated overblown if only he could see how special you can be if he only knew that you that we know it's very sweet and you perform that so well it was good i love it can i do it again it's so much fun of course overrated overblown if only he could see how special you can be if he only knew the you that we know See, I don't <laughs> mind that this the songs are used to sort of string it to go, together in a sort of jolly way. I don't mind that. I, they don't need to be sort of like these operatic Disney pieces that you listen to the soundtrack and buy the vinyl. I just like that it's there to sort of hold the rest of the production together. But um, even I'm like again, disappointed again, with this film. This film was kind of everything I needed it to be, and it is kind of heartbreaking because for me, even though he's gone on and made heaps of stuff afterwards, this is kind of the swan song for the Tim Burton that we knew and loved for me. Oh yeah, no, 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 one hundred percent, and I know. I, I don't know, it breaks my heart a bit about what you said about Danny Elfman because I honestly thought his score in this particular movie was breathtaking and for I, me I it stirred I think oh, it stirred so much emotion within me and it, and one of my it's probably one of my favorite scores he's actually done for any film especially well, I mean, to, to, to be fair I thought it was yeah he, he was quite sophisticated like it, it, to the point that I didn't find it grating because sometimes I find him a little bit grating yeah no Definitely. I thought the music accompaniment with um, that scene in the end that I will talk about in a second was perfect. Oh, true, it was, true, true. It was I'll agree with you there. Perfect. It was just so spot on. But there are, I have to say, this film, even though it's dealing with such dark and serious themes, it's very funny. It's very, very... I don't know. It's very funny. I mean, it's it sort of like chuckle to yourself funny. It's not like screaming out loud laughing well, funny, but but you leave smiling. It makes you happy. Well, I just, I love how flabbergasted Mr. and Mrs. Everglot were when they found their daughter, Victoria, speaking to Victor by the piano when everyone first meets before the wedding rehearsal. And they say to them, how improper, and you two shouldn't be alone before the wedding. So it's okay to marry a stranger, but speaking to them before the wedding is not okay. I found that re like really funny. I mean, that's a Victorian sentiment though. That's why he asked where her chaperone was. A man and a woman <laughs> that was unmarried weren't meant to be together because people would talk. You need that third party there. You know, that's a, I guess a very realistic thing. Oh, what else was I going to say? Well, I do have a few critiques if you want to hear them. I would love to hear them. So that you know that I'm not just being biased towards Hocus Pocus, because I love this film. But we're film. not talking about Hocus Pocus now. We're talking about this I film. Know. I need you to talk about this film objectively without comparing it to the previous film. I'm not. I'm relevant. just saying I want you to know that I wasn't being biased to Hocus Pocus when I was Whatever reviewing it. Whatever is happening between you and Hocus Pocus, I think, oh is my for you God. and okay, anyway. because it goes deep. But so anyway. one plot device that did throw me a bit was, so in the end when Lord Barkus, he finds out that Emily and her parents parents have no dowry to offer as they are actually bankrupt instead of just leaving her and getting a divorce he tries to kill her and victor i was like dude it would have been a lot more easier if you just like again, what, what did that achieve you can't put on like logic hat to wrap up the story because then you would have been like oh it's like yeah okay so to make it dramatic he's angry and he tries to kill them both i'm like no i can see why but he got what he deserved he, well, yes, Quaid. Do you Quaid, want to explain that to the listeners? Yes, yeah, so in the end, um, Victor agrees, actually, because they find out that there is... Because, until death do us part, because the corpse bride, Emily, is already dead, that means that she can't marry someone who's alive. But Victor, yeah. when he hears this, he says that he agrees to drink a potion that will make him dead, so poison, I guess, um, so that they can be married officially. So And he agreed to that because he thought that Victoria was going to end up marrying Lord Barkus. Exactly. 
exactly. had moved on from and him. And he also, I'm sure that he could find himself falling in love with the charming Emily. So everyone from the dead realm decides to go up to the land of the living to have the ceremony, and it's very charming and charming and <gasps> touching. And you, you talk see, about that scene. You see the little the boy, little boy. Walk up to like this skeleton, and because he recognizes his grandfather, and there's an old woman that realizes that she meets her um, long dead husband long dead of 15 husband. years. Exactly. So it's very sweet, and then the living and the dead are mingling, and that's where it ties into you know themes of Halloween because the veil between the worlds is thin and they can mingle and they go to get married in the church and before he drinks the poison that's when that's when god what's his name um are you talking about lord barkus yes or lord, that's where lord barkus bursts in and he's threatens to kill them both and as he's waving around the sword he picks up the, the goblet that has the poison in it and toasts them and drinks it not knowing that it's poison and then he dies and that means that the rules of the dead applies to him and the dead people can actually attack him yeah uh, it is interesting this film spoke like for a second sort of reminded me very lightly of themes of about okay wouldn't it be sweet if these people got together but then people that society deem more appropriate for you is how it ends up it reminded me oh, a little bit of the hunchback of notre dame that is exactly what i was going to See, say we are like, on the same wave like, oh, the hunchback and esmeralda how lovely and then some like super attractive dude with a huge dick shows up and they're like oh of course they end up together i guess i'll go and hang out with my clay friends no but and playing back into that, I feel the character that did have the biggest journey was Emily because she went from wanting nothing more than to find a true love to, in the end, realizing that she was stopping someone else from finding their true loves. And, and I, then she walks off into the distance, leaving Victor and Victoria in each other's arms, and then she turns into hundreds of moths or in, butterflies. Were they butterflies or moths? They were moths. And in doing so, she understood that she needed to move on, and that was her moving on to the next thing. The story itself is actually an adaptation of Jewish folklore, and it's really sweet. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I know that we have copyright issues, but can I just please play you a little play, bit? You can play, but we might have to cut it. Okay, I'm going to get sponsorship. I'm going to play a little bit of music that Danny Elfman plays when Actually, Victoria... Yeah, I don't think we're allowed to. When Victoria walks off and turns into all those moths. And I think that's all the fair use yeah, we're allowed to play. That was, I think it's really beautiful. And can I talk about one more character decision that kind of confused me a bit? I would love you to. So why did Victor not just tell Emily from the start that he had made a mistake and was meant to marry Victoria? Oh, he tries to several times. He I don't think he, 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 he only it's, does that after because no, instead he, he just lies to Emily and says that he would like her to meet his parents so that he can attempt to, an escape, to escape. And then after that all unravels, then that's only when he's finally honest with her. Well, in a very love... Maybe he was really shocked. No, in a very love actually way, he is stuttering and stammering to her while she's talking about how they're married now. And you can tell that he is trying to say it, but he can't even talk to Victoria when they're in the land of the living properly. So how is he going to talk to this zombie that he thought had actually kidnapped him to start off with and he's trying to figure out what's going on? So having just watched the movie again, I feel like he definitely tried to explain to her that it was a mistake. And then when that didn't come through and she was being very insistent about how wonderful it was they were married... He was like, you know what? I'll go and get them. And then This is true. I think that's one of my favourite scenes, though, that leads to the best line. Because Emily takes Victor to see Elder Goodnick. And so that they can arrange for them to go to the world of the living so Emily can meet Victor's parents. And then Elder Goodnick says, why would you want to go up there when everyone is dying to come down here? I thought that was really, really funny. Because it was like double entendre, technically. Because he's saying, you know, people are... They will die, and they're going to come down here eventually to also... Oh, you know, people are, like, dying to come here. Like, they really want to come here. I don't know. I thought it was really funny. Did you find it funny? Because you don't seem to be laughing. No, I just wanted to see how long you were going to take to explain that very basic joke. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was I funny. I still have to explain it to the listeners, otherwise they're not going to understand the context of the joke. So, the context of the joke is he said they're dying to come down here, which is the land of the dead. So, they're actually... Yeah, no, we get it. Um, oh, wow. I, well, so I, I, I enjoyed the fallout of that scene as well, where yeah. she comes back and climbs over the balcony and then grabs him and takes him back to the land of the dead. I thought that was very cinematic and beautiful. I love that. That was gorgeous. No, I mean, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this film and I really enjoy this film now. And it's a film that I feel like, again, even though it's marketed to children, you can just chuck it on the background and chill out. And I'd have to be... say to families, it's a family film. I don't want to say it's marketed to children. It's marketed to all audiences. I'm going to say that it is marketed to children, but it is written in a way that adults can enjoy. And I think that what we were just talking about with the mm -hmm. previous film highlights that some films 
films are just for children at the end of the day. And what we were mentioning at the beginning of the podcast, we prefer Corpse Bride over Nightmare Before Christmas. Absolutely. There we go. Even though Nightmare Before Christmas wasn't actually directed by Tim Burton. It wasn't, and everyone, everyone gets confused about that. I think that. it's because it looks very Tim Burton aesthetic. But well, he did apparently have a lot to do with the we, design you can, aesthetic you can of it. Tell. But, but, you know, um, and I would say that... I don't love Nightmare I Before Christmas. I would say that Nightmare Before Christmas probably has more catchy songs in it, but I do not enjoy it as much. I think that I think that The Corpse Bride is a is a far more mature, complete film. It's nuanced. The, the aesthetic is a lot nicer. Um, I really enjoy it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I and that's and you know I enjoy Nightmare Before Christmas. But do it's you? A, but it's a, I do. I don't. Much, well, I do in a very light way. Like I'm not mad for it. You know, there's a cult following and people absolutely die for it. Oh, I, there's a major I, cult following. I don't. For Nightmare, get, I don't. But see, that. that's what I get confused about because there is such a following for Nightmare Before Christmas, and then Corpse Bride. It's like. It's almost like there isn't a cult following. Like, there are people that love it, but it's not so much a cult surrounding it. Well, I don't know, which shocks that, me. Well, I it's... think A Nightmare Before Christmas has Jack Skellington to, like, clue onto as an icon. I think when you... But I feel that... like Emily's so iconic. How has she not become... Um, I, I think but I think at the end of the day, you know, it's because she's, well, she's a slightly more complicated design. You can't just scribble her down. In, she's not the McDonald's logo. I think it's, you know, just the human brain needs something very simple to slap down as, you know, like the V for Vendetta mask rather than an actual complicated face. When people can associate an icon with a movie, it's more likely to get a cult following. Even the Joker, that makeup that he has, people are like, oh, I, you know, I mm. love the Joker. I love like, you know, any form of him. And it's because the icon of that character is very easy to sort of know at a glance. What would you give the film out of five stars? I would give it four. Oh, wow. Wow. Within the context of what it is, I'd give it four stars. Because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a very charming, fun little film that I think looks beautiful. It sounds good. It's acted well. I really, I think it's great for what it is. Like, again, I'm yeah. not necessarily saying that it's Citizen Kane, but I'm, but I really rate it higher. I think no, it's a lovely yeah, definitely. Film. I would give it like, yeah, a 3.75 to a four out of five. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's like, you know what it is? It's like the perfect packaged present. It's so neat and tidy. And it's not trying to be over ambitious and it's not being lazy. Well, it's just, I, no, it finds a I beautiful middle ground. I think it's ambitious but confident in the sense that it is a mature... Ambitious in the technicality yeah. of well, actually producing it with no, the stop motion. No, more along the lines of I could see if he made it. 10 years earlier it would have been far sloppier but I feel like again this oh, is and if, but if it was made now it would have been shit well that's it it would be over polished but this is an artist at the height of his creativity I with, know. with the power to execute it actually performing to his strengths very well did so, you see Frankenweenie because that was another stop motion animated film he did I haven't he did made that very early on though didn't he no 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 no, no. he did a stop motion version so yeah he did oh. that was one of his first films Frankenweenie yeah. but then he made another Frankenweenie in like was it 2000 and 11 or 2012 and it's similar in aesthetic to corpse bride it's all black and white okay well, you haven't seen it no. oh maybe that's something you should explore who knows yeah so yeah there we go no i i, I really enjoyed that film and i'm glad that i rewatched it so thank you for the opportunity to dive back into it because it's, um, such, it's such a beautiful little film it is it's yeah. a beautiful film if you, to the people listening if you haven't seen corpse bride i would highly recommend it it always kind of makes me sad when I look at a movie that I think is so beautiful, but it's kind of just gone over the radar, and I feel like... Uh, I'm not worried about that. I think th there will always be a place for it. I feel like... Oh, no, there will be. keep coming back, so I'm, I'm not necessarily... And I also, I don't necessarily either think that it's a film that should be one that people are forever going, it's the best film ever! Oh, no, it's no, no, not, definitely it's, it's not. It's a lovely, warm film. stew, you know. <laughs> a lovely, warm stew. You know, uh, yeah. Um, should we go to our next segment? Absolutely. Okay, guys, we're finally back to picking a theme from the glass jar vase, the glass vase jar, whatever it is. I mean, it's a vase. I need to come to that conclusion. It's a large glass vase that David puts beautiful flowers in. Um, oh, who, picked, who picked the last theme? I can't remember. It's been a while now. It was our special guest that picked, picked yeah. the last theme. And then who picked it before then? I think it was you. It must have been. Yes, it's yep. your turn. Okay. Oh, okay. Come on. oh, I'm so scared. I'll drum roll, but every time I listen to that, it's really annoying. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Oh, I had something in it. That's really funny. I feel like you're going to be very, very happy about this. Is it animals as people? <laughs> is it animals as people? No, we're not doing Scooby-Doo. Um, yeah, guys, the theme for next week is... I can't wait to see your reaction. 
fairies. Okay, David looks a bit disappointed. Anyway, no, I just wanted to give you nothing. Catch All us right. next week for the theme of fair fair fairies. Catch us every week for a couple of fairies. Next week we'll be talking about fairies. Thank you for joining us, you beautiful people. We love you dearly and keep the feedback coming through, but just be aware that we might not listen to it. And if you want a different podcast, maybe make one yourself. And yes, please give us a follow on Cinephile Paradiso Podcast on Instagram. Um, you can follow me at David Charles Collins on Instagram and follow Quade Kirchner at Quade Kirchner on Instagram. We are not on other socials at the moment. Yes, we are not. Oh, are we? Yeah, no, we're not. Twitter's a bit of a dumpster fire. What else is there? Out there? TikTok. <laughs> I've tried, but I'm just, yeah, too old. I mean, you're, you're too old, but I, there's still some hope for me. Moisturize, baby. Moisturize. <laughs> See you, everyone, and have a beautiful Halloween. Cinephile Paradiso is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Thank you.